y'all, and welcome back to Uplift Fit Nutrition Radio. I'm your host, Lacey Dunn, future registered dietitian, here to spread the scientific knowledge in the world of fitness and nutrition. Today, I have guest speaker Andrew Pardue, and we are going to talk about the forgotten factors of fat loss. So let's jump right in. Okay, y'all, I have Andrew Pardue on board today with me. We are going to go over the forgotten effects of effective fat loss. So, Andrew, why don't you tell my listeners who you are, what you do, and then we can dive into these topics today. Yeah, for sure. Um, I definitely want to say, uh, I know you and I have talked to, you know, over the last week or two, but I uh, definitely want to take a moment and, and first say thanks for, for having me on and, and for the invite. And, and like we've talked about before, it's it's um, kind of funny because we, I guess we've been Facebook friends for a while and, and kind of followed each other. But, um, you know, up until recently, whenever I made uh, a, a pretty random Facebook post, uh, you know, it's kind of cool that we were able to connect the way we were and, and do this podcast. So I, I definitely appreciate you having me on. And um, yeah, as you said, I, I'm, my name's Andrew and, um, you know, I've been an online prep coach for a while. Um, a, a few, I guess, three or four months ago, I, I finally made the leap to, to coach full time and leave some other ventures that I had had pursued after college and um, have loved it, haven't looked back. It's been a, a pretty cool experience. And and just like I said in the post that you and I kind of connected on and, and started talking about this podcast on, um, it's been a, a pretty cool experience because it's just really allowed me to, to collaborate with more people than ever, even though I'm quote unquote self-employed. So it's it's been a, a really fun adventure um, just to kind of give everyone an idea. Whenever I, I attended college, and majored in exercise science and then minored in chemistry and entrepreneurship uh, at the Un- University of North Carolina, Wilmington, which is on the coast of North Carolina. So it was, oh, wow. it was very pretty, <laughs> pretty much too. Uh, yeah, a 10 minute drive from the beach at if it was full traffic, usually a lot closer than that. So um, fortunately, I was able to get a lot of studying done, even though it was an amazing place to be for, for vacations and stuff like that. But um, kind of dipped my toes into a few different areas because uh, I had an idea of what I wanted to do for my career, but I wasn't exactly sure um, the specific route that I was going to take to get there. So um, did the minors, did the, the major, and, and tried to really keep busy. Um, during all of that time, I was also able to do an undergrad thesis for the last couple of years during my undergrad. And that thesis happened to be a, basically a 13-month case study on myself during my contest prep and then the wow, five months I after. I did not so, know that. That yeah, is yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's been um, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done, but it was also one of the more rewarding things I've ever done. And um, I, not to sound like a jerk, but um, at the time, whenever I was an undergrad, I had planned on probably going to get my master's. Um, I had long wanted to do that, so that was kind of in the plan. And I at first thought about doing a thesis, really just to to help guarantee my spot into a master's program. And I, I thought everything else was, was lined up pretty well and um, thought that would be a really good thing for my resume. And little did I know I would um, quickly soon after really get into to online coaching. And then now it's, it's my, my full-time pursuit. So doing that research, um, you know, several years later, it, it's just now got accepted for publication. I think it was like two weeks ago. Um, so I haven't got, That's huge. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's been, um, it's funny because the, the study itself was 13 months long, but it's taken me, um, I guess, four, four and a half years to finally get it <laughs> officially published. So it, it gave me a, a very interesting perspective into the research field and what those guys go through. But um, but yeah, I, I say all that to say it really helped kind of really help me dive into the effects of, of dieting on natural bodybuilders. Um, it was more more unique for me probably than other people because the research was on myself. So I got to see how my metabolic rate changed, how my hormones changed, uh, changed. Of course, with any case study, just like the, the, I think there's been three other case studies up until the time that mine got accepted that were relatively similar. Um, and with all of those, obviously when you do a case study with just one person, those results can only be taken for what they are. You, you can't just automatically assume everyone's going to respond that way. But exactly. uh, it's been pretty cool because some of the other researchers I, I've become friends with over the years and really got to talk to them as well. And and it's becoming a little bit more popular of a thing for the fitness-oriented people to do for their theses. Um, so I, I think it's going to be really cool over the next several years to see 
other people doing case studies and then slowly but surely we'll obviously have a lot more information to kind of uh, take some averages from and whatnot. But um, I say all of that to say um, during college, it, everything kind of led to me doing online coaching, but I still never expected to do it as my full-time career, um, partly because of just the nerves of doing something on your own versus uh, a typical job. Uh, you know, there's uh, definitely some some dangers in doing that, and it's, it's a little sure. bit less safe. stability and not knowing what's to <laughs> yes. come. Yes, and coming from a family that is very much about stability, and uh, you know, growing up, they always wanted me to get a job with a, a typical 401k and retirement plan and insurance, and <laughs> so um, I think my parents were probably a little bit more nervous than I was. Oh uh, yeah, you can't I'm, blame them. <laughs> No, no, not at all. So um, it's it's luckily turned out well. Uh, you know, obviously, the the online coaching thing is is become so popular and so saturated now that um, you know I think for anyone starting out now compared to people that started out five or six years ago, um, there's definitely some new challenges. But uh, it's yeah. been an absolute blast, and uh, I was fortunate to have a lot of really good professors in college that um, really helped facilitate everything and really were, were very supportive in everything that I was doing and. Um, I've obviously had some some pretty key mentors and friends throughout the years that have kind of led to to me being able to to do it full time and uh, now I work with with almost exclusively physique athletes. Um, I've been able to been very blessed to work with uh, some people in America, but then also uh, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. And as of recently, uh, probably about a month ago, I, I officially have a, a client in Scotland, which has oh, been pretty so cool because cool. I can yeah. Kind of, it's been it's been very cool because uh, you know every it sounds very cheesy but every client that I've had truly feels like a friend even though mm-hmm. it's it's almost exclusively through emails so yeah. to to meet these other people in different countries and and kind of learn how their cultures are different um has it's definitely been a a nice perk to the job and and being able to connect to people that way and and now um I do some online personal training some just general population people that are obviously just wanting to to look better feel better but the the real passion is contest prep clients. Um, I just I love the sport and I love the amount of detail that has to go into that versus maybe not so much for for online personal training type clients. But uh, it's been an absolute blast. It's it's continuing to uh, you know always trying to do something new and uh, really keep plugging away and and make sure that I'm putting out content that's uh, you know actually helpful and, and really applicable to the everyday person and uh, things like that and, and being able to do a podcast like this and, and chat with you. And, and of course, listen to some of your podcasts previously before jumping on this one. Um, it's definitely been an exciting last, last several months for sure. Yeah. I just appreciate so much the information you put out on social media from Facebook to Instagram. Um, and then your new book coming out, your new macro tracking book, that is just beyond <laughs> yeah, exciting. Yeah. So I know you're putting a lot of work <laughs> into that. So do you mind telling them a, just, what it is and when you're potentially coming out with it? No, I, I have no problem giving a, a shameless plug whatsoever. But um, yeah, <laughs> well, it's so, something so, I definitely think will help a lot of people. I, I really appreciate it, and and I would say before I talk about the book, I would say I, I end up telling people this pretty often, and it's kind of funny, but it's 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 funny because it's so true for anyone that knows me. Um, growing up, I was very. Um, very nerdy for lack of a better term. Um, my parents always put a a really big emphasis on, uh, doing well in school. And then if athletics came, that was nice, but it was very much a side thing. And, uh, I very much appreciate that now, but, um, was always very nerdy, always in a book. Um, school definitely came first by a long shot and then eventually got into sports and and then found bodybuilding. So it's, it's been fun because I, I kind of get to be a nerd in in the way that I really enjoy it and, and still, Live, do it as a as a full time job. So that's been it's been really cool. So the content that I put out, um, you know, it, it takes a lot of of researching and whatnot to make sure that it's accurate. But it's it's a blast. So to be able to do that as part of my my job as a whole is, has been pretty awesome. And and yeah, like you said, I, I do have a basically it's going to be um, making sense of macros is the, the title. I thought it was kind of witty, but um, it's really going to be for people that are just starting out. Um, even now, like I said, I work with a lot of contest prep people, but uh, myself and I'm sure you just as much, if not more, uh, you always find people that may not want to work with you, but they're really interested in starting to take their diet more seriously and, and yes. starting to track things just yeah. uh, to kind of get a better hold of things. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm sure you get it even more, especially with, with the career path that, that you're pursuing now. But 
Um, it's always been very discouraging for me because you'll find people that ask you that and it's really hard to answer that in passing. Uh, If you have someone asking that at the gym, how do you even go about explaining that to someone? Because, you know, you or I have been tracking our food for a long time. So you you kind of learn a lot as you go. So to to take all of that and explain it in one conversation at the grocery store. It's literally impossible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it started to happen, uh, you know, more and more and, especially for uh, general population. I have a lot of, um, I would say, older people in general that are becoming more and more interested in it. And it's just hard to to really give them advice without writing a novel every time you have an email or something. So I basically tried to, (laughs) yeah, basically wrote one novel instead of writing a novel every every time I got the email. So, um, you know, it's basically going to start with just explaining what macros are and, and that kind of thing goes going into how every food source is pretty much going to have some miscellaneous macros from other ones. So uh, I'll have a lot of people that think of oats as a good carb source, but they don't realize that there are some fat and protein in, in mm-hmm. oats as well. So if you're not accounting for that, mm-hmm. you're kind of leaving a lot on the table as far as things that you can kind of control as far as variable variables go. Um, so it, it's going to start with that even down to how you should use your kitchen scale and things you can, should consider um, a little bit into eating out at restaurants, but that's not really the, the big focus of the book. But um, I'm really just hoping that it's going to help a lot of these people that um, hopefully not only for myself, but other people that get the question pretty often, um, just help answer a lot of those questions in a, a way that's detailed enough to actually help them and be all in one place rather than someone having to to ask this person and ask that person and and Google around to to four or five videos or articles and um, really just help consolidate that that and help people get off to uh, a lot better start. So hopefully that'll be coming out along with a a few other things that I'm kind of combining with it. Um, Probably it's like September 1st-ish. Wow, that's uh, soon uh, then. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm kind of weird. When I start a project, I just kind of bury myself in it for oh, several I'm the days. Same until exact it's way. Done. I'm like head underwater in it till it's done and then it's done. Yeah, it's it's the, if I don't, it drives me absolutely bonkers and it it'll be the only thing on my mind for days. So it's it's been a pretty quick turnaround, luckily. Uh, a lot of coffee and, and a lot of uh evenings spent doing it. But um it should be really cool. I'm hoping that it'll really help people. And um I guess I can officially say now because we've we've been able to finalize some stuff. Uh, I'm teaming up to have it available on the the My Macros Plus website um, oh, wow. for anybody. Awesome. That, yes, so so I'm sure you're familiar with them too. But yes. um, Jason yeah, and great. and those guys, yeah, definitely great. And and I I suggest that app to anyone that ever asks me. And um, it it's taken a little. Well, I would say it's grown really quickly. How many users are, are using that now? And and a lot of people are so used to using My Fitness Pal, they they kind of. Um, or hesitant to switch to anything else because they've kind of got their system down with their other apps. But uh, I've used it since I started college. So I guess five or so years now and absolutely have loved it. So I, I thought no, no better person to team up with than Jason and, and those guys. So um, hopefully we'll have it available on their website. That way some of the people downloading that app can also have that as another resource. So um, it's just been cool. It's, it's been without going on a tangent, cause I know I've talked your ear off already, but um, <laughs> it's, <okay>. it's just been, <laughs> It's been really cool to to collaborate with the people that I've been able to even in the last uh, you know four to six months because uh, you know just like you I, I love the sport I like the science behind the sport it's been uh, a big passion of mine so to be able to to not only do my own thing but to to really collaborate with the people that I've respected in the sport for a long time and the fitness industry in general and and just kind of get unique takes on things and um and just kind of help each other and, and grow throughout the the different projects is it's been a lot of fun. So it'll be cool to, to see that come out. And, um, like I joked to you before, I'm much more article based than, um, anything else. I, I purposefully don't do anything on YouTube other than some, uh, individual collaborations. Um, just because for me personally, like I said, I used to be really nerdy and also used to be deathly shy. So it's taken me a while to, uh, to, uh, kind of get out of that. But, um, Which I'm I usually don't understand YouTube to me is scary. It's scary to put a camera in front of you and just talk. Yeah, it, it's pretty much being on video is the worst. The second 
hardest is podcasting, which luckily this one's going well so far and I haven't screwed anything up. Uh, then phone calls, then phone calls, then emails, then Facebook messages. That's the, the hierarchy of how stressful they are. So usually, um, anything where I can write articles and things like that, um, it, it's a lot less stressful. And, you know, if you screw something up, you can edit it and whatnot. So, um, I'm really excited for the ebook and, um, hopefully by the time it launches, we'll, we'll have proofread it enough that it's, uh, a solid piece for everybody. So, uh, definitely uh, appreciate you mentioning that though. It's, uh, it'll be, uh, it'll be cool to, to see how everybody likes it. Yeah, you're welcome. And thank you for coming on here, even though it stressed you out. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> let's go into the forgotten factors in effective fat loss. So the first thing we were going to talk about was sleep. So do you want to start with how sleep can cause changes in appetite, metabolism, motivation, um, working out, physical activity, strength, all the above? Yeah, for sure. I, w- I would say, um, out of all the things that I mentioned to you before that I, I would probably want to touch on, I, I'm probably in danger of going off on a tangent on this more than anything, but um, it's it's pretty crazy. I guess with my research, so um, for anyone that, that hasn't really dealt a lot with, with getting research published and, and whatnot, it was definitely a learning experience for me in a lot of different ways, but one of those was you as the researcher can't really talk about the data in your publication until it's officially published, listed online, um, and then you kind of have to go off of that before you can really talk about numbers. And I didn't realize that at first, so it's it's kind of a, a balancing act of being able to talk about the research without screwing anything up on that mm-hmm. side of things. But with my research, what I would say is my a lot of my hormone uh, measurements, everything from my hormone to I would say my metabolism was probably affected a little bit. Uh, my cortisol, which uh, I'm sure we'll talk about later on as well. Um, when I started the contest prep, so when I was first starting to make any kind of macro reduction um, or adding any kind of cardio, my cortisol was through the roof. It was like astronomical. It was ridiculous um, before I even started prep. And as you know, usually cortisol is in, in a pretty healthy place when you start ideally mm-hmm. and then Steadily uh, you know, as you get deeper in prep. <laughs> yeah. So mine – Mine actually did the opposite, which you you hardly ever see. Towards the end of prep, mine was lower but still high compared to the healthy range, but it was even higher when I started because it was there was just so much. As you know, um, college is <laughs> quite busy when you're, when oh, you're really pushing yourself. Oh, goodness gracious, yeah. <laughs> so it was uh, definitely an experience, but um, I would say my sleep during my study, which, like I said, I hope that will come out within a month or so, um, my sleep, I think I averaged five hours a night when I started oh. and it never got above, it never broke six hours oh, the entire God. six months of prep. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it, it sucked then it sucked the entire time during prep because things were, it was just, there was a lot of factors that played into that. Um, but it made everything so much harder the entire time. And, yes. and as you can imagine, everything else aside, if you're not, sleeping well, you're just going to feel awful. You're going to be grumpy. And you know, the, the whole personality side of it, if, if you don't have coffee, that's, um, a, a tough thing for anybody, but oh, I would I'm say, the devil without coffee. Like nobody wants to talk to yeah, me. Um, <laughs> I didn't, uh, I never drank coffee until I met my now girlfriend and, and she, she flew out to visit me. Um, I tried coffee for the first time in like 10 years. And now I drink it every morning. So it's, uh, it's all I have her to thank for that. <laughs> <laughs> all her fault. But um, now I, I couldn't go without it. But, um, you know, during my study, my sleep was off the entire time. And, of course, there's a lot of things that go into any kind of contest prep. So and you, you can't blame it on any, really any one factor. But I would say my contest prep personally would have went so much better if I had been averaging, you know, seven, eight, nine hours mm-hmm. a night. And, and I wasn't. So I basically was fighting against myself the entire time anyway. But um, I've been able to see with my clients now, you know, get two years later or whatnot, the clients that I'm working with, the first thing, if, if they're starting to see some stalls and fat loss, the very first thing I'll ask them usually in a list of things that I'll ask is how they're sleeping. And, and I would say seven or eight times out of 10, they're sleeping like five or six hours a night. And yeah. almost always that that screws up <laughs> so much more than, than I think a lot of people give it credit for. And it's, it's funny because we'll feel sleepy during the day. And then at night, once Netflix is on, 
will stay up until midnight and then oh yeah <laughs> it, it, like the switches we... on you're like oh you know relax mode just watching enjoying but you're exhausted at the same exact time yeah and and i'll probably end up kind of combining the the caffeine point that, that i was hoping to make with this but um it's just crazy because whenever i was setting up my research study i knew i wanted to to do a sleep quality measurement during the study because i you and I have both heard and, and the other people that have been on this podcast are, are surely familiar as well. But uh, when you're in conscious prep, the leaner you get, your sleep is almost always going to get worse. Uh, yes. You know, I have, well, I have some clients every once in a while that, that sleep pretty steadily throughout the whole thing. And I think that, you know, every, everything has some outliers, but um, as you and I both know, it, it almost always gets worse. And then towards the end of prep, you know, you, you're lucky if you get a full night's sleep usually. Um, so I, it's it was one of those things that I, I knew I wanted to study just to try to ho- hopefully shed some more light in it, maybe see at what point in my body composition my sleep started to really mess up and things like that. But um, unfortunately, that was the one part of the study that, like I said, it, it didn't really turn out like how, how I wanted because I was never sleeping enough in the first place. Mm-hmm. But when, It never changed too much was, for you to be able to see a factor. <laughs> no. No, it was it was awful the entire time, so it's kind of hard to to pinpoint anything. But but I'm I'm still glad that I included that because leading up to the study, I obviously had to do a lot of preparation and and was able to look into a lot of current sleep studies uh, and how sleep correlated with with different hormone levels. And that's kind of paid off now because I have a a, a better appreciation for it now after looking into a lot of those studies and and it kind of it really helped me explain it better to my clients now. Um, so everything, everything pans out okay in the end, but, uh, it's just crazy because even, you know, I, I pulled up some studies before you and I jumped on and, and just kind of took some notes, but there are studies showing even this one, I'm looking at five hours versus eight hours of sleep in just one night of sleep. Uh, people averaged around 15% higher leptin, uh, excuse me, 15% lower leptin and around the same amount increase in ghrelin, which uh, for maybe someone out there that that's not as familiar with the hormones, essentially, the more leptin you have, uh, you're going to feel fuller and more mm-hmm. satiated, and vice versa. With ghrelin, the higher ghrelin is, the hungrier you're going to feel. So usually, when you're in prep, especially, um, but really any kind of extended diet, uh, your leptin levels are going to pretty consistently decline with your body fat levels, um, largely because leptin itself is stored within fat cells in the first place, and um, of course. The leaner we get, the hungrier we get, and that's a lot of different factors, but one being grilling usually spikes pretty pretty heavily. Um, it did during my study as well and, and all the other case studies that I've seen, but um, there's several studies around that same level. Um, I'm looking at two, I guess, three studies right now that are all showing pretty similar things, and just one or two nights, grilling and leptin levels can get altered by 15, 20. I think I've seen some that are upwards of like 30%. Which yeah, is pretty substantial. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, just absolutely nuts for for just a couple nights, and and of course, once you if that happened, if you had a, a few long nights studying for an exam or, or a work project, it's going to kind of throw things off. But once you get back in a normal sleeping pattern, those are probably going to um, you know realign to what you would expect. But especially someone in college like you and I know. Uh, that's a pretty rare thing to get four and a half, five, maybe six hours of sleep. Yeah, it be it seriously week. becomes a chronic sleep de- deprivation status. Yeah, and I would say uh, it's kind of. I was going to mention caffeine later, but it's it's pretty fitting to mention it now. But you and I both know um, uh, most of us wouldn't have graduated without a lot of caffeine, and it, <laughs> it helped in a lot of ways. But then at the same time. You have a few bad nights of sleep, especially in college or if your your career is pretty demanding, then you jump to the caffeine to make it through the next day. If you don't time your caffeine ride or you use too much, the next night of sleep is going to get thrown off. So like you said, it kind of becomes a chronic positive feedback loop. And I say all that to say it's really easy to get into these really terrible sleep patterns, especially if you um, are doing certain things at night that are not allowing you to, to kind of taper down and and get to sleep better. But I have it time and time again, I'll, I'll ask clients how their sleep is. And, and it's almost always thrown off when they're looking to, to lose fat and, and we're kind of stalling out. And obviously that's not the only reason anyone ever stalls, stalls out. And 
it doesn't mean to say you should try to sleep 12 hours a night and you're going to be shredded <laughs> uh, a month from now. But it's, it's the effects on ghrelin and leptin and almost every study that I've seen have been very substantial in a pretty short amount of time. And, and I would say if, if ghrelin, for example, is up 20-something percent in one night sleep deprivation, you can imagine if you're going two, three, four weeks consistently getting poor mm-hmm. sleep, just how much that could really throw things off. And um, I would say, too, I don't know if, if you want to add anything, but I would say, too, it's it's been really important for me to um, – I jokingly, especially as of late, I've began to jokingly tell my athletes that I'm sorry for sounding so much like a parent because I'm usually telling them to eat more fruit and vegetables, which we'll probably talk about later, um, go to bed on time and, and things like that. And it, it's kind of funny, but it's it's – that's kind of how I feel though, because it's, it's been so important, but there's a lot of, well, there's a lot of things that I do with my athletes now that I'll just kind of have. So I I have a team page on Facebook and I'll try to periodically post, um, just kind of like tips and and some like macro friendly finds and strategies for this and that just to kind of help, uh, gain some more consideration for them to, to do different things. And, uh, one thing I always try to do is really emphasize, um, I might even have it as a list, but, but really making sure just like our parents have probably told us to, uh, no electronics right before bed. So um, at least an hour before they go to bed, I'll try to really encourage them to either use um, like the auto night shift mode on their phones, mm-hmm. um, turn off the TV and like read or do something like that, keep it, keep the lights off. Um, I'll have them, especially in the last few weeks of their, their dieting phase, uh, look for a really quality sleep supplement. There's a few out there that I actually trust that are being fully transparent on their labels, um, actually dosing all of the ingredients right, but we'll have them throw that in for maybe two or three nights a week um, when that's really helped. But and then also, like I said, I, caffeine, I try to always have my athletes not have any caffeine after 2 p.m. just as kind of a safeguard to to really make sure. Oh, I wouldn't um, survive for that one. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> I say now, six. Now, I don't know how- I don't know how many athletes actually follow that, but um, that's usually like I've noticed in myself, which again, one person can't really determine what everyone should do. Yeah. But I've noticed in myself that 2 or 3 p.m., if I can suck it up and just push through, which it's easier said than done, um, the night, the nights and the, the periods of time when I've really been able to make that my cutoff, it's helped me tremendously. Um, so I, I really try to encourage that one with my athletes. But like I said, I don't know how – how often they uh, actually do that, and, and especially during prep, sometimes it's a little, a uh, little tougher than that. But yeah. there's there's several things I would say those, and um, I might be missing one that I'll think of later. But I really, really try to hammer home at least getting eight hours of sleep every night. And, and I think a lot of us, uh, it's kind of like the eight ounces of water eight times a day, or, or whatever the the rule of thumb for hydration used to be. And it, it's pretty general and and it can vary a lot. And of course it's the same way for sleep and, and some people operate 100% on seven and, and some people need closer to nine or 10. Yes. But uh, I really try to, and I, I'm probably an eight or nine hour guy if, if I really could make that work. And, and I try to really shoot for that with, with all the athletes that are prepping, but, but again, really anyone that's dieting. Um, because yeah, it's, it's funny how many people are getting five or six hours of sleep and, and they hit a weight loss wall and and nothing seems to move and then all of a sudden they get better sleep and it's um it's like i it said I, I try not to ever yeah that's that's yeah. what i see in my clients a lot and that's i always just like you i make sure that's one of the first things i go into is sleep and cortisol because of those those hunger levels get thrown off those leptin levels get thrown off and even i've seen a couple studies show to where sleep deprivation can cause alterations in glucose tolerance so possibly causing some intolerance there and impaired glucose tolerance, which can throw off, you know, potentially leading to other things. But yes. huge factor that people do not think of and they forget. And then it goes into stress, cortisol, throwing off your hormones, which then affect, you know, even more variety of factors. So yeah, definitely. yeah I'm, I'm super glad you mentioned that because I, I um, have seen some of the same, probably some of the same studies that you have. And completely forgot to mention that in my my little uh, tangent that I went on. So no, that's that's even even a better point. Uh, cortisol and, and like you said, glucose metabolism and whatnot. Um, it's just it's crazy when you think about and we're we're all kind of 
guilty of it at, at some point to to get kind of caught in the weeds of the the details and not the big picture. But yes, um, in in sure. a sport where well, in a sport that we spend hundreds of dollars on the actual show, you know, I, I know of people that have spent over a grand between traveling to the show, registering for it, the whole nine. Um, in a sport that you're spending however much on show, you're buying supplements every month, depending on you know what your your coach suggests or or whatever. You're you're spending hundreds of dollars there. Um, food isn't cheap when you're eating as much as, as we do. And one of the best things you can do for your progress is completely free and you just have to sleep more. <laughs> it's yes, just, and um, people, cause people are stuck in that mindset. They, they have to go harder. They need to be, they need to be suffering and that's not the way it should be. You got to recover. You don't need to be suffering. You need your sleep. You got to take yeah. care of your body for it to be able to take care of you. Yeah, no, it's, that's not. <laughs> uh, even though that's not really what our, our podcast is about, that was a super good point, and it's it's worth mentioning. Um, I think that's where a lot of people mess up in this sport. Um, there's there's a lot of science that goes into the sport. There's a lot of details that that do matter for people that are looking for for top level success and things like that. Um, the the science in our bodies in general is crazy and very detailed, but the general idea of how it all works is a lot simpler than we're made to believe by a lot of marketing and a lot of people that want to preach an extreme method because the extreme method seems so crazy that it must work. And if it's that hard and difficult, then it must work because I'm suffering more than the next guy. And it's, um, it, it kind of gets into this negative spiral and, and um, it's, it's crazy when, when really the basics get left out almost always. And the conversations are usually, usually about, a supplement ingredient that has two studies on it, or you know, something something pretty minuscule in, in the whole grand scheme of things, and um, that I would say that water and even uh, fruit and vegetables, which which maybe we'll we'll get into later, just as far as how food choice I think matters a little bit over the long term. Even though I'm a very flexible dieting based guy, um, but it's just crazy, you know, fruit, vegetables, water, sleeping enough. Um, <laughs> Some of those things, uh, I think, kind of get neglected because we see so much stuff on social media and whatnot pushing really very, very detailed, extreme things that may make a difference, but compared to getting enough sleep, uh, you know, it, it's night and day different. And I think a lot of times it's just really easy to to kind of forget that and in, in the craziness of it all. Yeah, and then people forget the fact that working hard, you spike cortisol, you have less sleep, you have high stress, then you're going to want more food, you're going to have more cravings for carbs and sweets, and you're going to make it harder on yourself. So yeah. um, how don't we, why don't we go into do diet types matter and talk a little bit about ketogenic dieting. So <laughs> yeah, what so are your it's... thoughts on ketogenic dieting? Because <laughs> I, I definitely say, have I would... mine. <laughs> I would first preface this by saying I'm definitely n not an expert in in ketogenic dieting. You know, there's obviously professors out there that have only researched ketogenic diets for years and years. So I don't ever try to be what I'm not, and I, I definitely try to stay in my lane with things. But I would say, for what it's worth, from a coach's perspective, that's seen people try it, that's talked to other people. And then from someone that's <laughs> pretty nerdy and, and tries to keep up on the research pretty consistently, I, I would say more consistently than than um, a lot of people. Um, I, I personally don't see it being the answer that a lot of people try to make it out to be. And I think it's in many cases something – it's one of those things that I mentioned earlier that people really get caught in the in the weeds of the details and – try to make something into something that it's not. And I think that's kind of been the case with, with keto in a lot of ways. Um, you'll see studies that show that it kind of has, it's helped. I know people always try to, to push the fact that ketogenic diet has been able to help cancer patients, but that, that can take us into a lot of different tangents, but we're not cancer patients. We're physique athletes, and there's just a lot more that goes into that. Yeah, than... so for this, we'll stick to physique athlete talking. <laughs> yeah, so so I would say it may have some benefits to, to other populations, but I, I don't think it connects enough that we as physique athletes or, or just a healthy population can just all of a sudden 
think that it's the answer to us as well. I would say, I would love to hear what you think first though, because uh, it might help me kind of collect my thoughts as well. Well, in my personal opinion, um, I I think that if somebody is able to adhere better in a contest prep diet by using keto and they have high energy by using keto other than just a moderate intake, it could be helpful. But I think it also causes problems metabolically. Not only could you potentially cause some insulin resistance and then cause some effects for your reverse diet, but I think it also misses the anabolic effect of carbs. So... You're you're missing the prime time for you to potentially lose less muscle mass and even potentially gain muscle mass in your cut. So those are my thoughts on ketogenic dieting. I'm definitely not a fan of it. I know some people love it. It works for them. I'm fine with that. But I just don't think it is the best route for a physique athlete. I think it should be – I think it should stick to the realm of medical nutrition therapy. I I – pretty much 100% agree with you. And I would say, I would pretty much mirror what you said as far as if someone happened to just absolutely love doing that and wanted to to stick mostly to fats and, and were able to pull it off and they didn't mind all the adjustments that they would have to make to their, their social lives and everything else, and they stick to it and they'll adhere to the dietary adjustments that, you know, I was to make or, or they were to make for themselves, then I'm, I'm all for it. You know, if, if that works for them, that's good. But I've rarely ever seen that to be the case. So, you know, people always say the best diet's the one you stick to. And, and I would agree to a point, but when it comes to keto, as many benefits as people will try to promote that I think is, is a little misguided in many cases, I don't know of anyone personally, and I have not heard of many instances where someone really, really enjoyed being on keto and was able to maintain it for an extended period of time. And I always tell people that ask me, um, A, that I'm not an expert in it, but B, you've got to think about adherence, like you said, or or when you go to a restaurant with your family, that might not be the best example, because you could technically find a, a keto meal, keto favorable, favorable meal if you wanted to, but there's going to be a lot of social events, a lot of situations to where sticking solely to a keto diet and not having anything that's going to kick you out of ketosis, which is relatively easy to do in the first place, um, it's just going to create, in my eyes and in most of the cases that I've seen, and some of the athletes that I've worked with that really, really wanted to do it, tried it, and then hated it, um, it's going to create a lot more obstacles, I think, in a, in a typical person's diet than it is going to solve any problems. Yeah. Um, and a lot and like more stress just, added trying to stay in ketosis. Yeah. A lot more stress added. And then as you said, um, someone that's, like I said, there's, there's other people that are a lot more uh, tuned into this stuff than I am. But, but if you ever decide to come out of ketosis or, or stop a ketogenic diet and switch to a more carb focused diet, Good luck. um, yeah, that's going to be really tough. Uh, even for, for coaches. I mean, that's, that's going to be tough to, to adhere to because that's going to be a really tough time to uh, kind of making that transition back out. But it's also going to be just kind of tough to to program. And then I would also say I'm a huge fruit and vegetable guy. Um, yes, I, try I was to really, about to really say suggest, that. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's one thing that I'm really hesitant to ever say that I would really promote it because I really like for, especially in the off season, I really like for my athletes to get a lot of fruit and vegetables and, and yeah, with the ketogenic diet, you can get, yeah, I think usually the the suggestion is 50 grams of carbs or less, um, 50 grams being a a really top limit that you can risk. And and a lot of that's from, you know, vegetables and whatnot, but to, to fill that limited with so many foods that are going to offer such a nutrient dense profile to, to help your long-term health. Um, that's, that's something that I would be very hard pressed to ever, encourage with my athletes and, and yeah there's and too many limit. benefits to limit the fruits and vegetables in your diet because if you even think about ketogenic dieting nuts peanut butter those have carbs you have to count those yeah. in so it's really limiting the good nutrients that can help you for your overall life prevent chronic disease like phytonutrients antioxidants you're gonna have to lower those in your diet so I know you were, you wanted <laughs> yeah. to go into food choice so why don't we dive into that for just a little bit 
Yeah, I would say um, this is the one section I didn't really prepare a lot of notes for, but I, That's I okay. feel I'll throw it pretty you. strongly. Yeah, no, I, I definitely appreciate it because it's something that I've kind of grown over the years to, to – I used to be one way, then I flipped, and then now I've kind of found a middle ground that I think makes a lot more sense because as we, as we all start, we all think we can only eat, quote, clean foods. We all think that if we don't eat chicken, broccoli, rice, you know, the whole nine, then, then we're just screwed and we're not going to look as good and all this stuff. And then a lot of us either <laughs> – a lot of people that do that either quit altogether – or eventually stumble upon flexible dieting and tracking macros versus following meal plans and things like that. And then I found usually when people make that switch, finally understand flexible dieting, understand how macros and tracking macros applies. Usually people for a while, especially younger people like myself when I first kind of got into it, will kind of go the other route and eat as much junk <laughs> as they can reasonably fit and maybe throw in some vegetables here and there. And, and that creates all other kind of issues um, I would say I'm, I'm very close, very much the middle ground of that. Um, I definitely want my athletes to enjoy meals out with their family in the off season. Obviously during prep things are a little different, but, um, to be able to have meals out with your family, to, to have those foods that you really crave and enjoy. I'm a donut guy. Anyone that follows me on Instagram knows that you would think that's all I eat because I post about them so much, but, um, I'm <laughs> a, a I'm a huge yeah, it's a, it's definitely a, a side passion, but um, you know, to be able to have those foods periodically and and better adhere to your diet and and all those things, obviously that there's a lot of benefits to that. But I would say, to a point during a fat loss phase during a contest prep, but I would say more over the long term of just maintaining a better body comp, um, I would go as far as to say your food choice is going to matter more than a lot of flexible dieting fans will suggest a lot of people say if you're eating the same amount of calories or you know the appropriate amount of calories then it doesn't really matter but um you know I, I think you've had a podcast on before I can't remember the title of it but I remember seeing something that kind of sparked it but um even the the composition of your your macro intake is gonna pretty greatly affect your your long-term body comp changes I and mean, if you're having mm -hmm. moderate protein um, moderate carbs and, and super high fat or moderate protein, you know, if, if you're going to have super high carbs or super high fat, um, those things are going to kind of differ because they have different thermic effect of foods, which is essentially the, the energy it requires to metabolize a yeah. certain macronutrient. So I, I would go as far as to say your macro intake and the composition of that is something that people most of the time when I start working with a new athlete, I'll have to rearrange that because those will kind of be askew. But then I would even say, uh, not to be uh, shamelessly plugging myself again, but I wrote an article probably a month ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, for Lane Norton's uh, BioLane website. And, and I contribute content there pretty regularly. And I, I wrote an article about fat source and why fat source should and does matter to physique athletes and, and why it's often neglected. And, Which and it I is, yeah, and I, go ahead, I'll let you talk about it, because I definitely agree. <laughs> no, I think you'll have uh, a lot of good insight in it, in it as well, but but essentially in the article, I go into a lot of studies, but, but really try to highlight the fact that if you're taking in a lot of polyunsaturated fats, a lot of omega-3s, if you're, you're the balance of omega-3 and omega-6 fats in your diet, um, how those play into inflammation and really helping maintain a, a healthy level of inflammation and, and stress responses in the body and the different thermic effects of various fat sources. Um, a lot of those things may not matter in a four-week span or a six-week span. Um, so in one dieting phase, some of those things might not become that noticeable. But over the course of a year, six years, eight years, however long in, in your athletic career, I, I definitely believe those are going to make a difference. And I think there's uh, a pretty large amount of studies on namely omega-3 intake and just polyunsaturated fats in general showing pretty significant improvements in body comp with everything being the same except fat sources being changed. And Yeah, they if, play if such a role into a variety of effects in your body, including immunity and 
people just people forget about it and they just look at fats as fats and that's not the way it is. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. And 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 in the article, I go into a little bit of, of kind of how I would suggest someone to break down their fat intake and and kind of um, um, acceptable limits of this and that and 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 how saturated fat obviously isn't isn't the bad guy, but it's just a matter of, of kind of balancing things out. And, um, the article for, for anyone that's a, a bio lane member, that's, that's interested. It's definitely, I think in my humble opinion, worth checking out, but, but like you said, it, it plays into everything from inflammation and, and stress responses and, um, long-term body comp. There's been study on study of fish oil intake and just omega-3 intake in general. And, and once you've improved your omega-3 versus omega-6 intake, which, uh, a typical Western diet's really high in omega six and low in omega three, which has been shown to to really heighten uh, inflam- inflammation responses and, and a lot mm-hmm. of things along those lines, which can cause a lot of issues later on. Um, there's just so many benefits to that. Where it's just a shame that in the industry in general, you either have the extreme of only eating quote clean all the time and never enjoying any fun I call fun foods because I don't I don't think they're good or bad. You just have to accommodate as necessary for your intake. But uh you know, people will take that extreme and then have these binge they'll call them cheat meals, but they're basically binge episodes. Uh or you'll have someone on the other end extreme that's that's eating it doesn't matter what they eat, they're just hitting their macros and they call it a day. And um I hardly ever see athletes on either side of that really, really do well over the long term. But, but the, the people that I've been able to talk to, the research that I've seen that find a little bit more of a middle ground and can appreciate the, the benefits of a wide variety of foods and overall intake, um, it's, I think it, it, it definitely, like I said, over one contest prep, you may not notice a huge difference, but over uh, a competition career or just a lifestyle of, of trying to, to attain a, a better body comp, I think it matters a lot more than than we as an industry give it credit for um, yeah. and it's definitely worth, worth paying attention to. Yeah, I actually have – I wrote an article regarding omega-6 versus um, omega-3 fatty acids and their effects on both metabolism and physical performance. And looking at the literature – it's shown that you know a higher amount of omega six to omega three ratios is associated with weight gain in both human and animal studies. And it was funny looking at well, not funny, but a diet which yeah, is yeah. actually balanced. So even it it might have high high fat, high omega sixes, but having a balance of omega six to omega threes um, prevented the risk of leptin resistance and insulin resistance. So it's looking at, it's all about the ratios that you have. So what I wrote down was a ratio of one to two to one of omega-6s and omega-3s is best for caloric intake and preventing chronic disease. So Yeah, I think that's a a great point. And, And like you said, there's studies like that. There's, there's, multiple studies on fish oil. I'm, I'm, I don't push a lot of supplements on my clients. Oh, I push fish oil every time. (laughs) Yep. Yep. That's, that's the one that and a multi and and a couple other things. Um, I am a huge fish oil fan and, and I'm not related to any, I don't represent any kind of supplement company, which has kind of been nice because uh, I feel like it kind of gives my, my clients never have to worry because I just, I mean, you know, talking about the, the supplements that, that I really, really believe in, but, um, even if I did represent a company and, and I've worked in the supplement industry for a long time, and even then, uh, the first thing I would tell people, even if the company that I worked for didn't have a fish oil, I would tell them before they started anything else, that's one of the best things they could do. And, and it's, it's just, it's crazy. The, like I said, it's crazy the, the attention some things get in the industry and, and what some things, how much some things are ignored despite how much good research is on it. And I think that's one of them that's, just super un- underestimated. And, you know, I'm over the last, I would probably say year, but especially the last six months or so, I've become a bigger and bigger fan of, of really making sure to get a lot of omega threes in, in particular, but, but just really paying attention to fat source in general. And like you said, between the health benefits and just being able to, to live longer and, and be healthier to performing better and just looking better. Um, in a world where we, we buy 
a supplement if there's a promise for like a 2% gain. Uh, <laughs> for official what it episode. really is when they make a claim. Yeah, yeah. And so so in, in, in that kind of world, uh, to know that there's so much research on fish oil being so beneficial, um, it's like a no-brainer to me. I, I, it's, a, it's a worthy investment for, for pretty much anybody, really. So I think especially, like I said, maybe not someone that's dieting once might not notice a difference, but someone that's wanting to either really string together a nice career of competitions or just look and feel better in general, uh, paying a little bit more attention to your fat source than, than a lot of people do and, and than I did when I was early on uh, definitely has a lot of merits. And, and it's nice because there's so much research supporting that. So it, it's not really mine or your opinion out of the blue. It's, it's pretty well documented. Years so even of if research, yes. Us, yeah, so even if they think we're full of crap, the, the research is pretty supportive. So <laughs> it's kind of a nice fallback. Yeah, guys, look in the Journal of Nutrition as well as there's a Journal of the Federation of America's Societies for Experimental Biology. Um, there's a variety of journals if you can access them. That is the struggle, though, in regards to publications. Yeah. And the overall population being able to read studies is they can't because they're freaking expensive. Yeah. Nobody can afford $50 yeah. for a publication. I sure can't. Yeah. So it's. Uh, and even even the the rent some some article publications you can rent it, you can rent it read it and then you know it just expires kind of like an iTunes movie for like but even thirty dollars yeah to rent them you might as well just just buy it so it's exactly. it's been nice I would say for anyone that's in college um, you really should take advantage of it while you can I know when I was in college at the University of North Carolina Wilmington there was basically a system connected to the library that we could either access pretty much any research publication for free or we could put in a request to get a copy of it for free. And it was just kind of a perk they had for the students. So whenever I was in college, it really, it really helped me because I, I was able to just kind of bury myself and, and try to really research as much as I could while I had access to that. And um, I'm sure other colleges do it. I don't know for sure. Obviously, I'm, I haven't been to other colleges to really know, but um, that I – I appreciated it when I was there, but I didn't know just how nice that was because, yeah, when, when you're back in the, the general population, um, it's a lot tougher to read full articles, I will admit. But I would say, too, for a lot of people out there that are just wanting to learn more and want relatively unbiased stuff, it's amazing what you can learn through Google Scholar and PubMed. And, oh, PubMed is <laughs> you know, the bomb. And um, yeah. I don't know if you use Biomed Central, but I love them. They're phenomenal. So I don't, I don't, um, I hardly ever go to their site to, to look, but whenever I'm on Google Scholar, I almost always end up on their site anyway and, and go <laughs> through there. But uh, that's another really good one. And it's just, um, <laughs> it's it's probably the nerd and both of us talking, but it's just yeah. funny because a lot of people Sorry, guys. get their information. Yeah, <laughs> that's what you get when you you get to uh, fitness nerds on, on one podcast. But uh, it's it's just a shame because a lot of the information that the general population gets are from random articles. And I would say that as someone that writes a lot of articles, but I, I treat them very much like a research paper and, and cite the heck out of them to make sure that it's um, well supported. But um, if, if someone's out there, especially the younger guys, if they can kind of get a feel for using things like Google Scholar and, and PubMed and, and being able to better search for studies and using the right phrasing and whatnot, um, that's like one of the best tools I think anyone in the, the fitness industry can really use is just getting better at, at looking at those. And, and even if you're only to pull up, only able to pull up some abstracts and and things like that, um, that can take you a long way. I, that's really helped me over the years. It's just Except abstracts spending can time be scary because, you, well, you know how yeah, abstracts can true. be. <laughs> that's very true. It's it's definitely um, kind of read at your own risk. I, I would say because exactly. yeah, you can you can kind of go in a lot of different directions with that. So that's a, that's a very good point. Yeah, I wish there could be something fixed about that, like to the point where there has to be a certain level of significance for them to be able to make a claim about what happened in the study. But, you know, just they're yeah. just going to let whatever happen. Okay, let's go over yeah, one it's, it's more true. factor um, or one more topic for this podcast before we close it out. And we can always do another one. So for sure. let's, I'm going to let you pick it. So what oh. sticks in your mind? So this one... 
I thought I was going to have trouble for a second there, but I know exactly what I want to talk about. And, okay. and this is, this is going to probably mesh into some of the previous podcasts you've had. Um, I know you and, and Cliff and Katie Wilson recently had a podcast and they, I think they covered, you guys covered, I admittedly haven't been able to read to, to listen to it yet, but I plan on it soon. But I think you guys touched on reverse dieting and, and things surrounding that. We touched on the importance of it, so not specifically what he does. Um, I've gone over that in one of my podcasts, but yeah, we went over the importance of it. Well, I would say between all of your listeners, obviously anyone that's not listened to to that podcast and the Cliff and Katie Wilson one, definitely go do that. But I would say on top of that, not only is reverse dieting super important, which I'm sure those podcasts are going to cover, but when you're what you do in your off season is going to make or break your next dieting phase. And, and you can reverse diet to a T and do great. But if then all of a sudden you completely stop tracking any kind of food intake and just kind of do whatever you're, you're doing for the next year or so, and then decide to jump into either an extended diet for a photo shoot or something like that, or a contest prep, it's going to be super duper important to, to start tracking your intake well before you're going to diet again and make sure that, that you're kind of setting yourself into a good spot. Um, I have a lot of people, and it's, it's very disappointing, as a, especially as a coach, but as a younger coach building your, your business. Obviously, you want to bring on as many clients as you can help because you, you, it's your passion and you're trying to grow your business. But I have to turn away more people than I accept because a lot of people have not handled their off-season very well. They've not focused on getting their their food intake gradually up to help their, their metabolic capacity and, and fuel their training. And um, they've more times than not been under eating significantly. So then when it comes time to prep, there's not a whole lot of room to work between what you're eating and what you can reduce to create enough of a deficit for that fat loss. So it, it really kind of becomes one of those things where you want to lose 20 pounds, but you're barely eating because you haven't really been taking it that seriously between your last diet and this diet. Mm-hmm. And you, there's not really a whole lot you or, or any kind of coach can do because you're either going to basically be starving yourself and you're going to hit a wall or you're going to be hopefully conscious enough of it to, to not get to that point. But uh, I would say I'm blabbering a little bit, but I would say, not everyone has to track their diet year round. Not everyone wants to weigh everything, uh, especially for someone that doesn't want to compete, just wants to look better and feel better. Yeah, you can probably get to a point where you're eating a balanced balanced diet and you're kind of eyeballing things and whatnot. You can obviously do that. Not everyone in the world has to track their intake. But for athletes that want to reach a high level and really, really maximize what they do in their, their competition career – tracking year round and being smart in your off season as far as getting your food intake up, um, really paying attention to that and and setting yourself up for a future diet later is going to make all the difference in the world. When, when someone comes to me and they've been doing that, their food intakes at a good spot, they've been tracking things consistently. So I know how their body weights responding to what they're currently doing. And we can just kind of jump in and get started from there versus, having to kind of figure things Start out from scratch. Go from there. <laughs> yeah. It, it's going to, especially if you have some shows in mind, some specific shows in mind, it's just going to squish your timeline. Even it's going to compress your timeline even more. Um, you might not even be in a good spot in the first place. So you might not even be able to lose enough weight to be competitive on stage and to get ready in time. So um, it's just, it, it turns into a logistical nightmare for, for everybody involved. So I would say one of the biggest things, one of the most forgotten factors in your fat loss is is what you do before you even start losing fat and, and how consistent you've been just on a day to day and and not just when you're you're starting to prep. So exactly, um, you can't you can't have sense. fat loss without a good proper caloric intake prior to. Then what mm-hmm. are you going to pull pull food from? And if you're <laughs> yeah, out there doing yeah. a bunch of cardio prior to a contest prep, where are you going to add cardio? You're, you're yeah. not going to do yeah. hours. Well, some people do hours, which is crazy, but you don't <laughs> yeah. want to do and hours. It, yeah. And that's a whole, whole nother, another issue. But I always, I use this example all the time. Um, 
admittedly, I, I'll end up using this example a lot during my emails and just uh, probably even in some of the articles that I've written. But I, I always compare it to starting a really long hike and you've got one backpack and you can either in the off season, make sure that you've packed that backpack completely full with all the stuff that you need to fuel you through the journey, or you can start with it only halfway. And if you start with it only halfway, you're probably not going to make it to the end before you collapse and freeze to death. <laughs> oh God. It's not that extreme, <laughs> That's not a good but, image uh, for God does prep. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, it's an extreme example, but it's, it's, if you're going to start a long hike, you're, you're not going to pack less than you can. And it, yeah. it's kind of the same thing with your off season. If you can really maximize how much fuel you're bringing in while maintaining a, a reasonable body comp. And, yeah, I was just going to say that. You don't want to start either. You want to make sure post-contest that you aren't going crazy with eating and gaining extra body yeah. fat with the building, that you're maintaining a leaner yeah. physique. Yeah, 100%. Because it, it's, yeah, if, if you fall off the wagon for a month after your show and, and gain 20 pounds, which happens pretty easily, mm -hmm. but you've not been consistently getting your food intake up, uh, then you've got to bring your food intake up and focus on building your metabolism back up after you've already gained 20 pounds. So then you're probably going to have to gain another, say, 10 pounds or something to actually get your food intake up to a decent level again. And then you have to diet all that extra fat off too. And it, it's, it just becomes, um, it's kind of like you said earlier in the podcast, it becomes kind of a positive feedback just a, a circle of mess, basically, for, for lack of a better phrase. So yes. it's, yeah, it, I would say, you know, taking, it's kind of become a cliche now, but your off seasons when you win the show and, and people say that all the time, but it really couldn't be more true because if, if you're taking your off season seriously, focusing on really improving your metabolic capacity with, with diet changes and, and really keeping a record of, of how your body weight's adjusting to different changes and whatnot, um, that's going to make your contest prep easier. I mean, that's, that's probably going to be the number one thing that you can do to, to really make your prep easier once it comes time. So I would say that's, that's definitely a, a big one that I, I try to really stress with everybody. Yeah, guys, take advantage of your off season and also don't run a hamster wheel of staying too lean. I know I, I have, yeah. I know I've been there not pushing food because I thought I had enough food, but don't run a hamster wheel either. Push food, push the yeah. gains, make the changes, make it happen. It's not going to be easy, and it's it just like it's not easy to diet, but you got to be in a good place to be able to prep again. Well, it's it's funny. I'm gonna keep myself from going off on another tangent, but I would say that's well. That's a how super you know you're too. very um, passionate about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get uh, pretty fired up, but I would say it's it's another shame in the industry is how social media has skewed so much because I think nine times out of 10 from everyone that I've talked to and then just the stuff that I see people feel this outside pressure to stay a certain conditioning year round because they think everyone else is that lean too. So they're going to be the one black sheep if they don't keep within a few pounds of stage weight or whatnot. But what they don't know is most of the time, the people on social media that look shredded year round are either using some sort of drug to make that possible or those are not current photos. And this, that's probably yeah, there's a, a lot whole of those podcast. people. And then you show up at expos, yeah. you're like, wait, what? Who's that? Yep. 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 You see them in person and it's not even, and it's happened to me. I've had it happen more times than I can count, but yeah, it doesn't even look like the same person. So it's, it's, I, I wish more people could see that and, and hear that from other people because it's, I think there is just this pressure of I need to stay ripped year round or mm -hmm. people are going to be like disgusted with me or something. And in reality, it's like, it's not healthy. It's not practical. And it's not really the case except for a few people. It's just, um, social media make things, makes everything seem a lot nice and pretty than, than it really is. So it's, and I think that's an awesome point. Yeah. Being, being a little, obviously within reason, but being happy with, with some off season weight gain and really, um, embracing the, the different stages of everything. Um, yeah, that, that not only helps later on, but, um, sure takes a lot of stress off of, off the athlete as well. Yeah. Embrace the body fat. So you can sit on your bum on the floor without it hurting. <laughs> exactly. Uh, or, or mow the lawn and not want to cry. <laughs> sing on the, the lawnmower. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, goodness gracious. Okay, well, that was a good hour of a podcast, and I think and I hope you guys enjoyed listening from Andrew and learning from him and all his all of his expertise. Um, Andrew, do you mind, again, just reminding my listeners where they can find you and your website, your IG handle? Yeah, for sure. Thanks. Um, so the website's just apfit.net. So like my name, Andrew Pardue, uh, just apfit.net. Um, it has some, some overview of my coaching and obviously some previous clients that I've worked with and whatnot. And then, uh, the IG handles just Andrew in Pardue. Uh, it's in as in Nancy, but my middle name is not Nancy. It's just <laughs> <the> <laughs> that would be thing. great. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, just Andrew in Pardue, uh, on Instagram. And that's where I do a lot of, I do Facebook, but most of my stuff on Instagram, cause it's just a, a little bit more, uh, streamlined for me, but um, but yeah, if anyone ever has like, you know, obviously additional questions or just wants to, to call me on my BS and wants me to, to send them over some of the studies that I referenced, I'm uh, definitely more than happy to and, and, and very much appreciate you having me on in, in the first place. It's, it's definitely been a lot of fun. I, I love talking about anything training and nutrition. So it's, uh, it's definitely been a blast to, to kind of meet up and, and chat about everything. Yeah, no, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an honor to have you and your extensive knowledge. So thank you so much again. And thank you for the idea for my thesis. I got to figure out something. So I don't, I don't <laughs> yeah, know definitely. if they will definitely let me do my own thesis on myself, but at least it gives me an idea to what I could potentially do. I know. Yeah, I would say, I would just say it, it was very tough because yeah, there were a lot of questions I had to answer and, and I had to go through a little bit more rigorous um, review board stuff to, to get it approved. But um, anything similar to that. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure you'll think of a, a pretty cool idea, but, but hopefully that at least, uh, like you said, sparks some, some considerations and stuff you might be able to improve on that, that I didn't think of. Yes. It also tells me to get a coffee IV ready to run. So yeah, without question. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to end this podcast here. So thank you so much again for joining with me and hopefully we can actually record another podcast soon. So have a fantastic night. Hey, that sounds great. You too. All right, bye.